We're going to look tonight at the first seven verses of Acts chapter number 6. So Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7 we will look at tonight. And I want to, I want to call your attention really to what we have learned so far. Uh, we have uh, established the fact that the Lord has given the apostles power to preach the word of God. They are getting to see a people believe and added to the church in large numbers, by the way. In large numbers. They are being added to the early church there in the city of Jerusalem. And the apostles are being used to uh, see miracles performed and people believing in the Lord. And as a result of all of that, persecution is coming. And so time of persecution is coming because of the fact that they have been preaching with boldness and power the word of God. So there's several times where their persecution has led to being placed into prison for a season. But every time God, in his, with his divine power, he always finds a way to deliver the apostles and we have seen several ways in which the Lord has delivered the apostles from their times of persecution. And tonight we're going to see something unique. We're going to see a, a, a really a division from within tonight, from within the church that we're going to see here in Acts chapter number six. But we're going to see how God, through his leadership, quickly solves the problem of this division that's been caused. And the church goes on and gets to see God use it, even in the first seven verses here of the book of Acts, in a great and a mighty way again. So we're going to notice a couple things here in Acts chapter number 6. And uh, give you three thoughts tonight from these verses tonight. Break these three verses down, or excuse me, these seven verses down into three thoughts tonight. And in verse number 1 of Acts chapter number 6, I want us to see the growth of the church. The growth of the church. We're going to notice that God in a great and mighty way is growing his church. And by the way, that's what we desire here at Victory Baptist Church. We want to see our church grow for the honor and the glory of the Lord. That's one of the reasons why we go out. We're trying to be a witness so that we can go to where people are and be able to tell them about Christ and bring them into the house of God. And I know that's not the reason behind why everyone is here tonight. It might not be because somebody came by your door. But as I always tell those folks that are out visiting, God is going to bless, though, our faithfulness. And he will always find ways to bless our faithfulness if we do what he asks us to do. So we're trying to see growth by going out, inviting folks to come in uh, for uh, the service time so that they can hear the good news of the gospel. And so the growth of the church here in verse number one. Notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter six and verse number one. It says, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, Oh, God is multiplying this church. As a matter of fact, we've seen times where thousands of individuals were saved and then baptized and then added to the church. We're seeing God grow this early church in just a great and a mighty way. And folks are being added to the church. Disciples, the Bible says, are being multiplied. But I want us to notice as we talk about the growth, as we talk about these disciples that are multiplied, I want us to notice a problem that arises at the middle of this verse. But before we get to the middle of that verse, let me talk a little bit about growth in the church. Because notice what it says in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. Growth in a church is a sign of health, isn't it? It's a sign of health. When our church is growing, it's a sign that, that God is working. It's a sign of a healthy church. 
Certainly not a sign of a stagnant church or just a church that's satisfied with status quo, but a church that's healthy, a church that's desiring to see God's best. And so a growing church is a sign of health. May we be a growing church so that we can be a church with, uh, that, that gives signs of great health. So every Christian, when we think about growth, every Christian should be desiring in their own individual lives to see personal growth. We ought to desire to see personal growth. We've talked about that a lot, especially at the start of the year. We've been, we've, we've been encouraging to always abound. We talked about always abound in pleasing the Lord and then in, in, in coming to the knowledge of His will and in wisdom and in spiritual understanding. Today we talked about a, 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 a please, or excuse me, always abounding in, in, in our walk. A walk that is worthy of the Lord. And so we're talking about growing to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't stay the same. Uh, let's not always have to feed ourselves on the milk of God's word. Let's get to the meat of God's word. Let's be growing. How do we do that? We've got to spend time with God every day. Uh, you're going to be, get to see signs of growth as you're spending time with God every day. Don't let it be that you're just spending time with God on Sundays and Wednesdays when you're in the house of God and when God's word is open. Uh, be regular about that. Be daily. Have a daily disciplined time with the Lord. And at our church, as a, as a church, we certainly, that's one of the, the goals and the purposes of our church, to have people establish in their lives a, 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 a discipline of daily walking with the Lord. As we even read in the book of Acts a little bit later, we'll talk about this a little down the road as we're studying through the book of Acts, but it talks about how the, the, the early church, they studied the scriptures and it said they searched the scriptures daily. They did this daily. It wasn't something that was just uh, when they were uh, meeting together in the temple. They're searching the scriptures daily. And so let's, be, let's, let's have a desire of, of personal growth in our lives, to be growing every single day and to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. But then, that, that's an individual thing. But then how about our church as a whole? I hope that one of the desires of every Sunday school class is to see their class grow. We want to see our class grow. Every Sunday school teacher, every Sunday school helper to say, I want to see this class grow. I was visiting the classes this morning and I got to stop by most of them today. And I went into the door and talked to uh, the, the, the students that were in the classes. I had a chance to talk to a few of the teachers this morning as well. And I noticed some of the classes had a good number of students in them and a good number of the chairs that were filled this morning. And so happy about that, happy to see growth. I was telling folks in Sunday school this morning, I stopped by Miss Linda's class this morning and she only had a couple empty seats. And I was excited to see that, that that class is growing and she's only a couple seats away from filling that entire class up with at least the seats. Then we'll have to bring more seats in. That's a good problem to have, isn't it? We want to see our Sunday school classes growing and be able to see the Lord. I hope that's the desire of every Sunday school class. Matter of fact, I was even told this morning that there's a, a special reward, I guess, if they fill all of those seats. And so I'm excited to hear what that is so I can be part of that. Uh, in the Sunday school class, there, the th I think that's a third and fourth grade class. And I, I, just to see the excitement of a Sunday school teacher wanting to fill their class. We want to see God grow the church, don't we? So every Sunday school teacher desiring to see their classes with more students in it. All of those that are involved in any kind of church work, any kind of ministry here to say, I want to see the ministry grow. 
I want to see God's hand upon it. I want to see growth. And that's what's happening here in the early church. They're seeing signs of growth. And we ought to see signs of spiritual growth. By the way, there's nothing wrong with desiring to see numerical growth as well. Now, I know it's not all about the numbers. I know it's not all about saying, well, we had a a large crowd here today. But I will say this. When you have a larger crowd, that's more of an opportunity for people to hear the gospel. I do know that. So, yes, we ought to be uh, desiring to grow spiritually. But we also ought to be desiring to grow numerically as well. To see the, 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 the pews of God's house filled. The seats of the bus filled. And the Sunday school class seats filled for the honor and the glory of the Lord. That's what we're seeing here in the early church. But can I say this? Growth does not mean that problems are eliminated. Just because somebody is growing, you say, well, wait a minute. You said that was the sign of a healthy church when we're growing. And yes, it is the sign of a healthy church. But it does not mean it's the sign of a church that will never have problems. Just because we're growing doesn't mean problems will all cease and will be completely eliminated. So we're going to see a problem that happens here in the midst of the growth here in the early church. And I want you to notice this problem, and I'll try to give you some details about this. Look with me, if you would, at the end of verse number 1 of Acts chapter number 6. It says this, There arose a murmuring. Oh, be careful of the murmuring, right? One One of the men that came from... We were at the winter retreat a couple weeks ago, and one of the men that came with the other church, we, had, we were blessed to have uh, some folks from Rich Creek Baptist Church in Spanishburg, West Virginia with us. Uh, my good friend from my college days, uh, Jamie Maddox, pastors that church, and some of his young people and his adults were there for the winter retreat. We were able to be a blessing to them. They were able to be a blessing to us. And one of the men from the church, every time, at least it seemed like when I was near him, uh, every time one of the teenagers would do something to, to complain a little bit or, you know, get a little bit disgruntled about something that was going on. And I told him at the start of the weekend, I said, you know, you, everything we do here this weekend might not be your most favorite thing to do. Every meal we have may not be your most favorite meal. Uh, every activity, but just get involved, have a good spirit about it. Well, he, he, he heard me talking about that, and every time he would hear anybody start to just murmur at all, he would start quoting that Bible verse, do all things, he said, without murmurings and disputings. And he would quote it out, and he would let them hear it. I don't know how many times I heard him quoting that. I remember one time we were walking down to the ball field. Now, it was pretty chilly that day. We were walking down to the ball field. Oh, it's cold out here. You know, you're hearing them all talking about it being cold outside. And I hear him out loud going, do all things without murmurings and disputing. He was trying to make sure they weren't murmuring. All some murmuring takes place, right? Oh, let's be careful about murmuring. Let's be careful about complaining. Now, I've used that definition for many years now. Complaining is finding fault with God. Because God has set up every detail in your life in accordance to his plan. And when we complain about it, we are finding fault with God. Let's not murmur. Let's be Christians that have good spirits about us. We're not murmuring. We're not complaining. Well, the Bible tells within the early church, there's some murmuring that starts to take place. By the way, we'll get back to that in a minute. And we'll give you some more details about that murmuring in just a moment. But notice what it says. There arose a murmuring. Now, notice this. Of the Grecians against the Hebrews. 
So there's two different groups of people. Really, they're, they're, they're Jewish individuals, but two different groups are described here. So the Bible tells us the Grecians are murmuring against the Hebrews. So there's a complaint by the Grecians against the Hebrews. Well, the Grecians would be Greek-speaking Jews. You may have heard them described this way as well. The name or title that's given for them, they're called the Hellenist. And so that's the name of these Grecians, Greek-speaking Jews. Well, the Bible then also talks to us about the Hebrews. So the Grecians begin to complain against the Hebrews. Now, the Hebrews would be Hebrew-speaking Jews. So we have Greek-speaking Jews, we have Hebrew-speaking Jews, and they're all part of the early church, and there's some murmuring that takes place with the Grecians against the Hebrews. Now, there are a couple of details that we have to know about verse number one to help us to understand all that's taking place here. The Hebrews would look down on the Grecians as individuals that were inferior. Now, we'll get back to that in just a minute. We'll tell you in just a moment why they would look at them as being inferior. But the Hebrews would look down on the Grecians, looking, them, looking to them as individuals that were inferior. And tensions between these two, the Grecians and the Hebrews, had now come into the church. And that's where we start to see the trouble. The tensions that's going on between the Grecians and the Hebrews, they've now come inside the church. Here's what, where the problem lies. Look down, if you would, at the end of verse number 6. Here's where the problem lies. The Bible tells us the Grecians begin to murmur against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now think about this. Remember how that the, local, that the early church, they were all trying to take care of one another, weren't they? They were all in one accord. They were trying to take care of one another. They were trying to meet each other's needs. As a matter of fact, that was the very reason why they were selling possessions and bringing the, 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 the price, the payment of what they sold to the feet of the apostles so the apostles could distribute these things as they were needed so everybody's needs could be met. Remember, that even led us to the story of Ananias and Sapphira who sold that possession and brought, back, or brought only part of that to, to the apostles' feet and, and lied about it. And then the results a, 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 as, a, as a result of what happened there with Ananias and Sapphira. So they are trying to all be in one accord. They're trying to take care of each other's needs. But the Grecians felt, by the way, I'll pause here for a moment to say whether this was right or not, they felt it. Have you ever encountered situations where you could say somebody might feel something, but that doesn't mean they're right about it? Uh, they could feel a certain way, but that doesn't mean they're right, but then there are some times where they are right. Sometimes where they're wrong about their feelings, and then sometimes where they're right. So whether it was right or it was wrong, the Bible tells us the Grecians felt that their widows were being overlooked. As a matter of fact, it even describes to us how they felt like they were being overlooked. Look at the end of the verse. It says this, their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. They were, they were not having distributed to their, de or excuse me, to their widows uh, that which was necessary for them. So the Hebrews would get, their widows would get everything they needed, but the Grecians were complaining, saying that our, our, our widows are being overlooked, and so they're complaining of, of partiality. You are giving to the, Greece, or excuse me, the Hebrews, but you're withholding from our widows what we need. And so the Hebrews, 
that the Grecians were feeling like the Hebrews were being supplied, their widows were being supplied in a better way. Now, we told you there was a reason why the Hebrews would look at the Grecians with, with, with a conflict and look at them as being inferior because the Hellenists or the, the Grecians were, were Jews who had previously left Israel. So they had left Israel to live in other countries, but now they had returned. So now they looked at them, they looked at the Grecians as individuals who were Jewish people who had left and you had gone to other countries and now you came back. So because you came back, you have been, uh, you have been contaminated or affected by the Gentiles. And so now that you have come back, yes, you're back, but you are inferior to us. And so the Grecians felt like the Hebrews were being better provided for. So tensions started to develop, the Bible says. Murmuring started to take place. Now, I told you I'd come back to that murmuring here in just a moment because I think it's an application for our church tonight. We've got to beware of this. Satan is always seeking to cause division within the church. And that's exactly what takes place here. The Bible says there's a murmuring that starts of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Everything's going well with the church. How do you know everything's going well? Because the Bible says the disciples are multiplying. The church is growing. Growth is a sign of health. But again, it doesn't eliminate all problems. And so tension is building within the church. Satan seeking to cause division. And that's exactly what he'll do even today. Don't, in our lives, let's not allow Satan to be used to cause division within the church. I like what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians. It says that we are not to even give a place to the devil. We're not to give a place to him. Man, he's as a roaring lion. He's walking about. He's seeking whom he may devour. And you, you know that as an enemy, he wants to get to the church, doesn't he? And he wants to affect us from being a lighthouse in this area. He knows if we're Christians, he knows he cannot get our soul, but he can take away our effectiveness, can't he? He can take away our influence. And so let it not be said at Victory Baptist Church that we, where we allow Satan to cause divisions within the church. May it not be said of us that we are, are, we're sowing discord or we're trying to cause division within the church. Let's all be in unity. Let's all be in one accord. Well, we get to the second part of this chapter tonight. And this is where we're going to be really encouraged. Because with all my heart, I truly believe that God again steps in and he solves the problem. Number one, we saw the growth of the church. But number two, I want you to notice the guidance of the apostles. I want you to notice the guidance of the apostles. The Bible tells us that the apostles are going to try to figure out what is happening here with this murmuring that's taking place. And in verse number two, let's read verse number two down to verse number four. And let's go back and talk about these verses for just a few moments. I want us to notice the guidance of the apostles. Look at verse two. It says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. Let's pause for just a moment. Those twelve apostles, they call all of the disciples together. And they're going to have a large gathering, a large meeting so that they can give some guidance and direction. And you're going to notice there's some wonderful direction and guidance that they give here. So let's follow on now. Let's look at verse number two. It says this. And said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, can I pause here for just a moment before we get into the real heart of verse 2 through verse number 4 and give you an application that I think would be so true for us as a church tonight, for our church, Victory Baptist Church tonight. I want to say, as we read through verse 2 through verse number 4, I want to say praise the Lord for spiritual, godly leaders who step up with wisdom. Did you notice what happened here? These apostles stepped up as spiritual leaders and they gave some wisdom. Aren't you thankful that in the church, God enables us to have spiritual, godly leaders who at times will be able to step up and impart wisdom? Here's what happened when the apostles step forward and give guidance to this problem or this murmuring that's taking place. They take a big problem and they make that problem much smaller. Isn't it great to know that when God uses spiritual, godly leaders that have wisdom to step forward and he gives guidance and direction to them, we could take maybe what perhaps could be a very large problem and make that problem very small. Now, this is opposite of individuals who will destroy a church through gossip. They stepped up and said, hey, we're going to use some wisdom to make sure this problem is solved real quick. Opposite of those that will spread gossip or who will be a slanderous with the words that they might say about others or sowing discord or trying to cause division. Instead, they step up with, God, with godly wisdom and say, we're going to be able to use the guidance of God to be able to solve this problem and we're going to let God control it all. And I want you to notice two things that we see in these three verses here about the guidance of the apostles. Number one, I want you to notice their decision. I want you to notice their decision. Would you look at verse number two, and then we're going to go down to verse number four, because this is the decision that the apostles make. In verse number two, notice the decision they make. It says, and they said, this is the middle of the verse now, when they've called all the disciples together. It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So here's their first decision. We as apostles, we as preachers of the word of God, our decision is that we should not leave the word of God. We've got to stay by the word of God. We've got to study the word of God so that we can minister the word of God and preach the word of God to others so that we can continue to see decisions made for Jesus. They realized that their primary ministry was the ministry of the Word of God. That's what it's all about for these apostles. They're preaching the Word of God, and they realize that's their primary duty. So number one, their first decision is that we cannot leave the Word of God. We've got to study the Word of God. We've got to deliver the Word of God. We've got to preach the Word of God. That's the only way we're going to see decisions made for Christ. But then the second decision they made, they made is seen in verse number four. Look down at verse number four. It says this, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What's the second decision that they made? They're going to give themselves to the ministry. So they realized their primary purpose was to minister the word of God, to, to spend time praying, and to build the church. 
And so they use those, those two words there. Notice back at verse number four, if you would. It says that we will give ourselves. By the way, they wouldn't just give themselves. It says they would give themselves continually to the ministry and to prayer and to building the church. Now, when we see these two words that come out of the mouths of the apostles, can I say this? These are not just empty words. These are not false promises. These are not men that are standing up and saying, well, I'm going to give myself to the ministry of the word of God and then that decision quickly fades away. These are not empty words. And you say, well, how do you know that these are not empty words? Because these apostles have already shown that they were willing to preach the word of God even if it sacrificed their own comfort. Even if they had to go to prison, they were willing to give themselves to preach the word of God. So we can stand here tonight in chapter number 6 and say that we know they were telling the truth because they've already sacrificed their own comfort to give of themselves to preach the word of God. Not only had they sacrificed their own comfort, but they had sacrificed their own safety. Remember, there were times where they wanted to lay hold on him and they wanted to put him to death. They wanted to kill them. As a matter of fact, in, in, in the next chapter, we're going to see Stephen. We haven't studied it yet, but in the next chapter, we're going to see Stephen as he is stoned to death. These men are literally willing to give their selves for the ministry of the Lord, and they're not using those terms lightly. It's not just empty speech. It's not just vain words. It's not a false promise. But they're saying, we're going to give ourselves. We've already sacrificed our comfort. We've already sacrificed our safety for the preaching of the word of God. And you already know this without me saying it. But many of them eventually even die the death of a martyr. These apostles give their life, most of them, give their life as a martyr for the cause of Jesus Christ. So can I say, when they make the statement... We're going to give ourselves. It's not just empty, vain words. But I want us to go back to verse number two, and I want us to go back to verse number four for just a moment. Lest we pass over these verses so quickly that we fail to really represent or recognize the commitment that these disciples made. I want you to take a couple notes. Look with me, if you would, at verse number two, and I want you to note this in your mind tonight. Look at what it says in verse number two. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, there are some that would look at those last three words, and serve tables, and say that the apostles were saying that serving tables was below their dignity. That is not what they are saying at all. Take note of the fact that they are not saying that serving tables was below their dignity. Instead, they just realized that their primary purpose was to study the Word of God so that they could deliver the Word of God and then they could preach the Word of God. Which, by the way, in the day we live in today, that would be the same of what we would think that God has called a pastor to do. That he would be able to give of his time to study the Word of God so that he can then deliver the word of God, so that he can see the word of God preached and decisions made for Christ. So it's not a group of apostles that's saying, oh, we're high and mighty here. 
serving tables is below our dignity. That's not what it is at all. So take note of that in verse number two. And then also, if you would look back in verse number two, notice again, they say at the, ver at the end of the verse, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Here's another thing these apostles were not saying. They also were not saying that as apostles, they did not recognize the need to be examples or overseers or servants in all areas. I truly believe that these apostles knew that their duty before God was to be an overseer of everything in the local church. They were to be servants with whatever God would ask them to do. And by the way, examples to those that were in the early church that they were preaching to. I do not believe in any way that the apostles were saying we're taking our... Our, our duty to be examples and overseers and servants in a light way. Same with, a, again, a pastor in a church today. That he would understand the duty of being an example in, in every way of service. That, 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 that no pastor would get up and say, well, that, that, put, that particular job would be below my dignity. I, I can't do that. No, the pastor's duty today, just like the apostles are saying, we're to be examples, we're to be overseers, we're to be servants in all areas. But what we are saying, though, is that we our primary purpose, our primary responsibility and duty is to prepare the, the, the preaching of the word of God so it can be preached and decisions can be made. Now let's take one more mental note now. Look down if you would at verse number four. I want you to notice this, verse number four. It says this, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I want you to notice one other thing that I want you to see about these apostles. These apostles in no way are trying to look for any promotion or glory. They realize it's not about them, but it's about Jesus. Uh, one, of the, one of the truths that we brought out this morning in our starting point class is found in the book of Thessalonians, and it's the church of Thessalonica that Paul is preaching to. And he makes a little statement in 1 Thessalonians, I believe it's chapter number 2, and he makes this statement that everything we do in the ministry, everything we do as we preach the word of God is for two purposes. We're to try to please God, and we're, try to, we're to try to bring glory to Him. And I truly believe that's the way the apostles lived. It's not about saying we're, we're looking for some kind of promotion. We're looking for some kind of glory in ourselves, or that, that men would be, that, we, that, that, we would, uh, that, that men would bring, uh, be pleasing, that things would be pleasing to us. No, that, that God would be the one that's pleased. That God would be the one that gets the glory. So first of all, as God gives guidance to these apostles, number one, we see their decision. But number two, I want you to see their delegation. I want us to see their delegation. Now they are going to delegate the people, the disciples of the early church to, do, to go and do a task. So look with me, if you would, at verse number three at their delegation. They are going to delegate responsibility. They are going to share the responsibility. We could put it this way. They are going to enlist, watch this now, they are going to enlist help wisely. They realize they need help. If we're going to minister the word of God, we need help. No one in a church can do it all by themselves, can they? So we need servants. And they're going to delegate individuals to take responsibilities. And so look what it says in verse number three. 
Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report. So we've made the decision that we've got to stay in the word. We've made the decision that we've got to give ourselves continually. So what do we want you to do? We want you to look out as a church for seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, I'm thankful in the church, and I just mentioned it a second ago, but I'm thankful in a church and in our church tonight at Victory Baptist Church that we can work together to serve the Lord. As a matter of fact, I truly believe that's, that's God's plan. So we have pastors, and then we have deacons, and then we have laymen that come together and all together work to get the needs of uh, uh, of others that are around us uh, accomplished for the honor and the glory of the Lord to meet the needs of those that are around us. And isn't it great that we can work together to do that? God has given us spiritual gifts and every member of the local church has a gift that they can offer to the church body of believers so that we can get the work accomplished. So that's what happens here. He begins to delegate these responsibilities. So these seven men are going to minister to the physical needs of the church so that the apostles can be able to devote their time to prayer and preaching, which would be the spiritual needs of the church. Aren't you thankful that things can get done that way in the local church today? That the pastor and the deacons and the, those that are church leaders and those that are Sunday school teachers, and those that are bus workers, and those that are laymen serving the Lord in various ways in the church, can all come together and we can meet the physical needs of the church and we can get, meet the, the spiritual needs of the church as well. So who does the Bible say they, they seek for? They, who are they seeking for? Who, are, who, who, do they, who, who, who was sought for here? Well, the Bible says there are some specific requirements here. We want these to be seven men, notice this, of honest report. So number one, they're looking for good men. Number one, they're looking for good men. By the way, these are to be men from among you. Did you notice what that said there at the, uh, at the beginning of verse number three? It says, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you. So these are, these are going to be men that you're going to get to find right in the, in the early church here. Isn't it great that God can, again, take individuals from right in his local church and use them for him? They didn't have to go outside the church. To find somebody, they found people right inside the local church, right inside the early church. He's looking for good men. Men, the Bible says, of honest report. That means they had some integrity. That means they were known and for their honesty, they were respected men in the early church. So he's looking, number one, for good men. But then notice number two what they're looking for. It says, full of the Holy Ghost, they're looking for godly men. So number one, they're searching out good men, men of honest report, men that were respected, men that had some integrity, had some character, were known for their honesty, and then godly men, men that were full of the Holy Ghost. And by the way, just like we said this morning, we need to be full of the Holy Ghost, empowered by the Holy Ghost to get the work of God done. We can't do it in our own strength. So we're looking for men that are full of the Holy Ghost, so godly men. But number two, they are, excuse me, number three, they are looking for gifted men. So they're looking for good men. They're looking for godly men and they're looking for gifted men. Look at what the Bible says at the end of the verse there. Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. 
So we're to look for men that are full of the Holy Ghost, but then also men that are full of wisdom. Men that are gifted. They've been gifted by God with wisdom, with spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we can appoint them to this business. Now, we finish our message tonight with verse number 5, 6, and 7 quickly as we finish tonight. And I want you to notice the third truth tonight. So number one, we saw the growth of the church. Number two, we saw the guidance of the apostles. But number three, we're going to get to see the gathering of these men. We're going to get to see the gathering of these men. So they go out, the Bible tells us, and those that are in the early church, they go out and they find these seven men. And they gather these men up and notice what happens when they gather them up. Man, this is an extra special blessing to finish off the message tonight. Number one, I want you to notice two thoughts here under number three, the gathering of the men. Two thoughts I want you to notice and we'll finish tonight. Number one, I want you to notice the people respond. The apostles give guidance. Hey, we've got to stay in the word of God. We've got to minister the right way. So we want you to look for seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom. And what do they do? They respond. They go and find them. They do what the apostles have told them to do. So number one, the people respond. Look at what it says in verse number seven, if you would. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. They're not trying to sow discord. They're not trying to have strife build up here. They're saying, well, if this is what the apostles tell us to do, and it certainly lines up with the word of God, let's go out and let's do this so that we can continue on the work of the Lord in the early church. So what did the church do? The church recognized the wisdom that had been given to them. And they realized that this wisdom that had been given to them would address the need that they had. There's a big need here. And so we've been given wisdom by the apostles, and the wisdom that we've been given is going to address the need that they had. Can I say this? They had a good spirit toward the suggestion that was given to them. When we're given suggestions, when we're encouraged by wisdom that godly leaders try to give us within our church, would we say, hey, let's have a good spirit about that. Let, let's follow the leadership. Let's make sure we're, 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 we're guiding ourselves with a good spirit to the things that are presented to us as a church so that we can go out and do the work that God has called us to do. So the Bible tells us they delegated these apostles now, they delegate authority so that they could continue their work. And so they go out to search for these seven men. And in verse number five, we see that they are chosen. Look at what it says. It says, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And by the way, we'll talk about Stephen much more in chapter six and moving into chapter seven as well. And then notice the next man in Philip and Prochorus and uh, uh, Nica, Nicanor and uh, Timon and uh, Par, Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Notice verse 6, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Number one, we told you the people responded. How did they respond? Well, they chose these men, and then the Bible tells us they prayed over them. Did you notice verse number six? The Bible says they set them before the apostles. So can you see it now? These 12 apostles have told them to go out and choose seven men. Well, they bring the seven men back, and they gather them with the apostles. So now we got the 12 apostles. we got the disciples who've gone out, and they've gathered these seven men. And now the seven men are standing there with the apostles. 
You're following along with it, right? So here's what happens. The Bible says they start praying over them and they even lay their hands on them. Look at what it says in verse number six. It says, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. You say, what's happening here? They're praying over these men. They're laying their hands on them. Well, it's the church recognizing that God has called these men to a particular ministry in the church. This is something that God has called these men to do. Just like there's times where we would pray over somebody and perhaps even have uh, 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 godly individuals uh, lay our hands on an individual to say, hey, God's called you to a certain task. You're going to go out perhaps from this place and do the work that God has called you to do. And we are praying over you. We're asking God's Holy Spirit to empower you and to use you. And His presence will be in your life. We're recognizing the fact that God has called them to do something great and mighty for Him. And by the way, if, if, if somebody tells us that God's called them to do something, we take that person at their word and we want to see God accomplish great things in their life. And this is their recognition of the fact that God has called these men to a certain ministry there in the church. So the people respond. But the second thing I know, want you to notice is this, that the church grows. You say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. You already started the message by talking about the growth of the church. Well, it grows even more. And the Bible tells they're multiplying. They're growing because they've done exactly what God wanted them to do. So now what, 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 what are the apostles able to do? Well, the apostles are now freed up to study the word of God, to present the word of God so that souls can hear the word of God and so that souls can be saved and then added to the church. And the Bible tells us that's exactly what happens. Look with me if you would at verse number seven. And the word of God increased. You say, well, wait a minute. It's already, it's already, we've already, the word of God's already been able to see thousands of people uh, saved, but it increases even more. It multiplies even more because again, they're following what God would have for them to do. That word increase there in verse number seven has the idea of it's producing results. That's what we want the gospel to do today, right? We want the gospel to produce results. We want to see souls saved and uh, folks baptized and added to the church. That was, that was some specific request we had yesterday during our men's prayer time that we'd see souls saved this year. We'd see people follow the Lord in baptism and added to the church. That's what we want to see for the honor and the glory of the Lord. We want to see this church grow, don't we? We want to see it increased. So notice what it says in verse number 7. The word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Did you notice some words that are key there in verse 7? Increased and then multiplied and then greatly Man, God is using this church, this early church, in a great and a mighty way to grow. The church is growing. The church is increasing. And then I want you to draw special attention to one thought at the end of verse number 7, and we'll be done. Uh, by the way, before we read the end of verse number 7, when we read it, I want you to notice something particularly. Have you noticed throughout the first five chapters, and now we've moved into chapter 6 of the book of Acts, have you noticed that God always has a way of showing up and proving himself real in the lives of those that are in this early church. Have you noticed the power of the gospel in the early church and the first part of the book of Acts? We're going to get to see it again at the end of verse number 7. Look at the power of the gospel at the end of verse number 7, if you would. It says this, And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. What that means is this, there were priests that started believing. You say, well, wait, wait a minute, what would be so special about priests believing? Well, many of the priests had hearts that were opposed to the gospel. 
Their hearts were hard to the gospel. They were opposing the gospel. They were opposing the truth of the gospel. The Bible tells us the gospel is so powerful. At the end of verse number 7 in chapter number 6 here of Acts, that the priests who had been opposed to the gospel are now turning to faith in the Lord, and they're putting their faith in the Lord. So the gospel has enough power to humble even the most of proud hearts. And notice it says at the end of verse number 7, they were obedient to the faith. They were becoming, they were unbelievers, but they were becoming believers. The power of the gospel. By the way, that's the difference between those that are lost and those that are saved. It's the simple word believe. You believe or you're living in unbelief. And they've believed. So now they've gone from being an unbeliever to a believer. They've gone from opposing the gospel with a very proud heart to now humbly receiving the gospel. That is the power of the gospel that we're seeing here in the early church. May we pattern Victory Baptist Church after this early church. May we get to see God's power. May we get to see the church increased and greatly multiplying and a great company of individuals coming to know Christ as Savior and becoming disciples of the Lord because of what we're doing here. May we be faithful at it. May we see the church grow. So we notice tonight the growth of the church and then the guidance of the apostles and then the gathering of the men and how God uses this first, uh, first seven verses of Acts chapter number 6 to introduce us to a man named Stephen that we're going to talk about and then to be able to see the delegation of responsibility so that the word of God can be preached and it can be increased and greatly multiplied. Father, I pray that as we are studying through the book of Acts, Lord, that you are encouraging our hearts. I pray also, Lord, in addition to that, Lord, that you are, uh, that you are helping us to make applications